controversial Easter sermon in the news last week was the uh, politicized sermon preached in the church that President Obama attended and not the one that I preached here. That's not to say preaching on Easter Sunday about Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead didn't raise an eyebrow or two, even in my family. In fact, I had second thoughts about it. You know, several weeks ago, when looking ahead in Acts to see where I might be for Easter, I got excited when I spotted these words. With great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's perfect. That's a perfect text for Easter. Now, all I had to do was manage to get to the text for Easter. And I didn't really think too much more about it until I realized that it led into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, that story is almost too hot to handle any time. But then again, so was the apostles' witness concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And as we finish the fifth chapter of Acts, we see some amazing things taking place at the hands of the apostles. We see the authorities laying hands on the apostles. And then we see them take their hands off the apostles because they were just too hot to handle. We're in Acts chapter 5, ready for verses 12 through 16. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. And also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Luke tells us that many signs and wonders were being performed at the hands of the apostles. Now, these were not miracles for miracles' sake. They were signs and wonders given to confirm something. They were signs performed at the hands of the apostles among the people, and people were being healed. Amazing things were taking place in the early church. And then Luke notes that they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Now, it's not clear in the original who they and them were. And we're not even certain who the rest and the people were. Now the NIV removes the problem by interpreting it for us. And all the believers 
used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's the way it reads in the NIV. And the NIV may be right in its interpretation. They who were all with one accord in Solomon's portico may be a reference to the believers. And none of the rest may refer to unbelievers who were afraid to join with them. And the unbelievers may have held the believers in high regard. But I don't think that's what Luke's saying. I think he's saying the apostles were of one accord. They were united in proclaiming the gospel in Solomon's portico. But the rest, the rest of the believers, were afraid to associate too closely with them. And who could blame them? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Who would want to associate closely with men who read minds and exposed hypocrisy? Who could but say the word and people drop dead? It's understandable that the people would want to keep the apostles at arm's length, even though they were held in high esteem. And they were respected and listened to. The people knew that God was working through them. It was evident by what was taking place. And the apostles were faithful to him, no matter what. They weren't afraid to confront They did not compromise. They didn't worry how people might react to what they were saying or doing. You know, Peter didn't say, hey, we better take it easy on Ananias. We don't want to scare people off. After all, you know, this is a new church work. We can't afford to lose members. And it is easy to imagine people saying, I'm never going back to that church. If you lie, you die. But it didn't happen. They continued coming. And the people held the apostles in high esteem because of their faithfulness, even if they didn't socialize with them. And as a result, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to the church. And by specifically mentioning women, I think Luke is most likely indicating that it was more than just family units who were coming to Christ. Women were coming even without their husbands. People were coming because the truth was being proclaimed courageously. In fact, so many people were coming that some couldn't get close enough to hear or to be touched by an apostle. So they lined the streets, hoping that Peter's shadow would pass over them and they would be healed. Now, whether that actually happened or not, we're not told. But Luke does say all who were sick and afflicted with unclean spirits were healed. Now, again, we have to ask ourselves, why were they being healed? Was it the apostles' mission to rid the world of sickness and death? In a sense, yes, but no. The healings were signs. 
confirmations of the truth of the gospel. The apostles were offering salvation from sin and estrangement from God, spiritual healing on the highest level, and the reality of spiritual healing available through their hands was confirmed by the physical healings. It was like Jesus telling the man his sins were forgiven and then telling him to rise, take up his bed, and walk to show that he did in fact have the power to forgive sins. The apostles were causing quite a stir. And everyone noticed what was happening at the hands of the apostles. But not everyone liked it. In fact, the religious authorities couldn't wait to get their hands on the apostles. But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord, during the night, opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go your way, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. The officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to, to what would come of this. Someone came and reported them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Jewish authorities were filled with jealousy because of the apostles' success, especially the high priest and his associates, the Sadducees. You remember, they were the most powerful, politically connected faction in Judaism, the faction that did not believe in angels or demons or the resurrection. And here were the apostles preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And people were listening 
believing them and responding to their message. Now, Peter and John had already been arrested once and warned not to preach anymore about the resurrection of Jesus. But they were still at it. They had disobeyed a court order. It was time for action. So they laid hands on them, all 12 of them this time, and threw them in a public jail. Not a pleasant place to be, but they weren't there for long. That night, an angel that the Sadducees didn't believe in opened the gates of the prison and took them out. Apparently putting the guards in a stupor and relocking the gates after they left, once outside, the angel said, go your way. Now, it almost sounds like he's saying, get out of town. But he said, no. He said, go your way and return to the temple and continue preaching. That's exactly what they did. The next morning, when the people were gathering in the temple for morning prayers, the apostles were there preaching Jesus. Apparently, the Jewish leaders skipped church that morning. They were busy getting the council, the senate, the Sanhedrin ready to try these troublemaking preachers. When they had everything ready, they sent for the prisoners only to discover they weren't there. The doors were locked and the guards were there, but the apostles were gone. Where could they be? Well, they're trying to figure out what had happened. Someone came running into the courtroom and said, the men you put in the prison are in the temple teaching the people. Well, they were cautiously rearrested so as not to cause a riot and brought before the council. There they were accused of contempt of court for refusing to obey the order to stop preaching and for filling Jerusalem with their teaching and for making the Jewish leadership look guilty for the death of Jesus. Now, at their first arrest, when ordered to stop preaching, Peter had respectfully told the court that they would have to judge whether it was right in the sight of God for them to give heed to the court or to God, but that they could not stop speaking what they had seen and heard. This time, Peter and all the apostles made it clear that they had to obey God rather than man. After all, the Jewish authorities had obviously made a faulty judgment in the past. They had condemned an innocent man to death, and God had proven his innocence by raising him from the dead. They had condemned the one God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior, the one he had sent to Israel to make possible repentance and forgiveness of sins. The apostles were witnesses of these things, as was the Holy Spirit, who confirmed the truth of the apostles' message through external miracles as well as as the internal witness of the Spirit in the lives of believers, something even the council would have had had they been obedient to God and indwelt by the Spirit. 
the council was enraged. But they didn't know how to respond to the confidence and the boldness of the apostles. And that led to a policy of hands off the apostles. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you purpose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. He was slain, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter first declared to the men of Israel that they had crucified the one God had sent to save them, Those who heard were pierced to the heart and cried out, What shall we do? Peter told them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three thousand obeyed and received what had been promised. This time, when the apostles told the leaders of Israel that they had put to death the prince and the Savior God had sent, they were cut to the quick. Now, to be cut to the quick is even more intense than to be pierced to the heart. It pictures one cut as with a saw and left ragged and jagged and and ripped open. What the apostles said really got to them, but it didn't hit the right spot. It didn't make it into their heart. It didn't lead them to repentance. It enraged them and made them want to kill the apostles, something they fully intended to do. They didn't, however, have authority under Roman law to execute anyone. They would have to go back to Pilate and once again ask him to crucify those they felt to be a threat to Rome, of course. It was risky 
taking their religious squabbles before a Roman authority, but they were willing to do so. They didn't know what else to do with these apostles of the man they had nailed on a cross. Then Gamaliel spoke up. He was a Pharisee and was less offended by talk about the resurrection of the dead because he believed in the resurrection. And he was a highly respected teacher of the law, and when he spoke, the council listened. He ordered the apostles out of the courtroom and cautioned the council not to act too hastily and to think through what they were risking. He reminded them of Thutis and Judas, men who had also gained a following of rabble-rousers. Upon their deaths, their followers scattered and their causes died with them. The same thing, he suggested, would happen to the cause and followers of Jesus if their movement was indeed of men. If, however, it was of God... Nothing they could do would stop it. And they would find themselves fighting against God. Now he wasn't suggesting that it was of God, only that they should take a wait-and-see approach. And the council took his advice. They accepted a hands-off policy with regard to the apostles. And once they got their licks in, Literally. They called them in and flogged them, no doubt whipping them with the 39 lashes that the law allowed, and then once again ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and release them. Now they knew they couldn't stop them, but there was really nothing more they could do. Their hands were tied by Roman law, by the people who held them in high esteem, and by the reasoned argument of Gamaliel. They really had no choice but to keep hands off the apostles. They were just too hot to handle. So what the apostles do? They left rejoicing. They rejoiced that they had been found worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. They looked to the world as if they had been beaten, and in one sense they had, but they hadn't been stopped. They kept right on preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ in the temple and from house to house. Would that the world might discover that we, too, can't be stopped. That the truth being proclaimed and the ministry taking place through our hands cannot be stopped by the hands or the courts of man. Would that the world might find us too hot to handle and decide to take a hands-off approach to the church. But even if it doesn't, may we have the faith and courage to trust 
and obey. To keep right on preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ in the church and house to house. I trust you are well aware of the challenges facing the church today. I pray we have the confidence to keep right on preaching and teaching the truth, no matter who likes it and who doesn't. Let's commit ourselves to trusting in the Lord, 